What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers speak basketball? Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by my man Tim, aka Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, today we are going to uh, dive in a little bit to a preview uh, in the future games for the Lakers. We have the Bulls and the Bucks coming up. And uh, but quickly before we get into that, um, we are recording just before the Warriors game, for, so people know this should be up later tonight, maybe after the game. But uh, so as of right now, just giving you kind of a state of the Lakers, Tim. I just wanted to do a quick data check-in on you and see if you found any of these things I went over uh, this afternoon interesting. So mm-hmm. uh, as we know, Lakers are 11 and 3. Uh, as of right now, I believe they have their first in differential, uh, first in defense, or is it offense? Anyway, and they're fourth in the other. First in yep. defense, thank you. Uh, and they're doing all the things that we thought they would do and kind of they're sleepwalking through it. But I wanted to bring up a couple of interesting things that I found, Tim. I tweeted this out earlier, but it, I, it and you say it's interesting. I, Tom, this is like, I feel like you should be heated about this. I'm heated about this. You found this. I hadn't seen this. Now that I'm like, it's being pointed out to me, I am upset and <laughs> the viewers should be upset. So, so tell us, tell us. And like, I, I love being fired up about some data. Tell us what is going on that like is so troublesome it's holding this team back so much I like it I with know. Their, you know only their fourth only fourth in offense only exactly. first in defense exactly. like come on guys get it get it together so per cleaning the glass in 86 minutes this is the lakers second most used lineup now if you watch the games this year you, this will hit strike home for you because it feels right right so this is the west mm-hmm. matthews lebron kuzma keith trez minutes right negative 32.8 differential Tim, it's really bad. So not only are they negative uh, 32.8, right? But their, their offense of points per possession. Oh God, where is it? Hold on, I'm pulling it up right now. 84.9 net rating offense. Oh, excuse me, offensive rating. Excuse me. 84.9 offensive rating. 117.7 defensive rating. My God. Wow, that's that's bizarre. And the the thing with a lineup like that is you don't really have like guard sized players out there. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of more similar stature sort of dudes relative to what you generally get in an NBA lineup. That's a lineup that would make sense to be able to like switch stuff one through five. 
not just from like a height and like style of player standpoint. I don't think the Lakers have done that, but that that is like the if if this were to be a good defensive lineup, which it is not, that would be how it might get there. Well, okay, this it gets so much worse because there's so much baked wrapped into this lineup too. Sixty nine point four points per hundred half court plays with this lineup. That's that is <laughs> that is very bad. That is like. Like Gonzaga might do better, bad. Uh, not, no, anyway, uh, but their saving grace is like 115.4 points per 100 in transition. So if they're not running, they're like giving up a you know eight point deficit in like a four minute stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is a lineup that still confuses me as to what we're trying to get out of it, and this feels like the lineup that's forcing Keith minutes in where it could be hurting the team, you know, just cause we have a deep team and we might be forcing lineups into that. What do you, what do you make of unpacking some of this lineup data? It's, it's an interesting one because I think four of the players, if, if I were to pick out four Laker players who I would say haven't performed all that well from a number standpoint or have underperformed, it would be Wes Matthews, Kyle Kuzma, Markeith Morris, and Matros Harrell. And you have all of them in this one lineup. Mm-hmm. And it's like a an experiment of like, what's the the weirdest grouping we can put with LeBron and and how far can he carry them? And it hasn't worked all that well. Um, it You don't have real rim protection. They're not switching with this group. So it's going to be a worse defensive group than it could be. I will say that if they were to start switching one through five with this team, with that lineup, I think they would be better than the 117 defensive rating. I don't know how good they'd be, but they'd be better because just with the types of players they have out there, like I don't want these guys chasing dudes around screens. I don't want these guys, like some of these players in just a normal pick and roll, having to like chase over the screen and get back pressure. I don't want these guys having to like, defend the rim. I I want all of these players just like switching everything and, and trying to hold their own in ISO because Wes can do that. LeBron can do that. Kuz can do that. Keith for a lot of players can do that. And, and Trez has shown us that he's a little bit better there than you might have thought from, from hearing from Clipper fans last season. Um, that would be the, if they are to continue using this group, they better be doing that. They better be start switching. They better be switching things. And offensively, it's a group that you probably switch a lot against, um, which is mm-hmm. which is interesting. And maybe this is a group that we've seen used second most, which is crazy high to me because of all of the guard injuries or COVID issues right. we've had with KCP and with Kuzma. It's a good point. Maybe that's it. it. So, so I would say from right now, where I think we're in pretty good shape from a health standpoint with a lot of those guys moving forward. If this continues to be that highly used, I would be baffled. Um, and it's not just like a oh well, you know, just with the way the rotation works out, you have to give this group the second most minutes. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand it. I think there are things you can do within this group to make more of it, but being down. 33 points per hundred possessions is uh, not a great starting point. And shouts to my guy, BJ Meta with the most BJ Meta addition to this thread of all time. He said, if you replace number zero, Kyle Kuzma with Caruso plus 36, replace Kyle Kuzma with THT plus 13.6. Those are real numbers. Those are real numbers. Wow. So, you know, take that as you will. (laughs) 
it makes some sense. You get a get a guard out there. You, like yeah. you, you generally don't play basketball helps. without guards. Yeah, like your yeah. point of attack defense not good. Yeah. You've got a lot of guys in here slotted into roles that that don't make sense with mm-hmm. that group organized the way it is. So it's I don't know. It's a good example of like you can't just take a bunch of like numbers for players and shove them all together and assume it'll give you right. the sum of those numbers. How you fit the pieces together matters, and this is a great example of that. All right, last thing, really quick, ribbing on this lineup. Their effective field goal percentage, Tim, 43.2. 43.2. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to have to pull up. I, I can't do it right now. It takes too long, but I'll have to pull up like a shot chart for that group, and I'll pull Please up the do. play types for that group because it just Please has do. to be It has to be hilarious. 43.2, and that's a just awful number. Um, just a couple other quick things, Tim, I wanted to highlight here in my, uh, my perusing of the data so far. This made me laugh out loud. KCP, right, had a great season. We really missed him in those games, even though we, we won most of them. He's 12 for 18 in the corners. He's <laughs> KCP by himself adds 4.4 points in transition per 100 possessions by himself. What, is that? what does that mean? So like all, when he's on the court, it's kind of like on off data for transition impact. They score. It's the hundreds percentile. Like he alone affects the, how many points they score in transition by 4.4 points per hundred percent transition possessions. Okay. So it's not just that they play more there, but the, the, uh, the frequency the along generated. with the efficiency gets right. you to that. Okay, gotcha. And then he's – this is actually hilarious. Plus 24.3 per 100 in the half court. Well, that's got to be a little bit noisy. That <laughs> he Well, if he's shooting 55% from three, is it? And to be fair, so the Lakers, by far their most used and best lineup is the Schroeder, KCP, LeBron, AD, Gasol starting lineup. That has given them a plus 26.8 differential, which helps that bad lineup we mentioned before. But KCP is a part of making that so, so, so valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's a really important piece, and we talked preseason about how this year he'd be able to be slotted better to a role that matches his skill set, and we're we're seeing that he's a more refined movement shooter. Essentially, he's not doing pick and rolls. He's not needing to operate over a, a ton of handoffs this year. He's able to just do what he's good at, and when you're able to focus in that way, all your all your practice time focusing on just the couple things you need to do instead of five or six different things. I have to imagine that helps him prepare for games and and we've seen him start the season off really well. So that's really encouraging data to see so far. Uh, This is just more random stuff. Uh, I was checking out some of our half court offense because I do feel like a lot of times it just gets bogged down. Right. And in some of this lineup data, their half court performance with with Coos, he's minus seventeen point seven per hundred possessions in the half court. Trez minus twelve point eight. Wes minus eighteen point four. Uh, it's it's just been really bad on that lineup in the half court, and they're not really picking it up in transition either. There's a, a just a significant difference in the pace that the first unit plays with versus the second, and and you see it in some of the data so far. They're better in transition, and when they get stuck in the half court, the offense really gets bogged down with some of those like end of the first, beginning of the second lineups. Mm-hmm. 
It's interesting to see. We see it in the games. It's it's cool to see it on paper as well. Um, not too much other than that. Like AD's, you know, I read Alex Regler's great throwdowns uh, piece on AD getting to the rim a lot less. There's some interesting stuff that's starting to come in the data with, you know, some little things that we pointed out here. So we'll keep an eye on that, Tim. But uh, I just wanted to quickly throw a couple things at you that I uh, came across. By the way, 67.4 expected wins for in an 82 game season uh from the lakers so far with their data pretty good i don't i'm not sure we'll hit that but pretty good well i guess yeah in the 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 season length is a little bit different that's for okay Mm -hmm. that would be like winning every game this year okay that's the that we have the point differential (laughs) of uh yeah 67 win team uh but anyway tim let's move on to starting to preview the chicago bulls matchup um we faced up against them like just last week with ad and kcp missing and i gotta tell you watching the film back a little bit they sure did miss kcp chasing zach levine around screens and when they tried to catch hedge on Levine. Uh, he would reject screens a lot and really just find his way into the paint. And he's so athletic. He was dunking, getting to the rim, all kinds. And he exploded for 38 points. Do you think having KCP back will make a big difference on this game plan? Yeah, that, that matters. And we saw Chicago attack the catch hedges in a smart way. They don't have the best talent in the world. Their, their offense is, is okay, but we should be able to contain this team defense with with the Laker defense and having a guy like KCP who is a little bit better at navigating those ball screen situations to make that offensive player use the screen in the first place is is step one of a catch edge defense if he's trying to cheat over that and he's not forcing the player towards the hedge if you reject against a catch hedge that big man has no chance to recover if it's against a drop coverage they're deep enough where they can probably recover in a lot of situations but when the big man in the ball screen is so much higher up defensively they're so much more vulnerable if that uh ball handlers man who in this case would be kcp doesn't do their job so having him back just in that respect will be really helpful um, especially defending a guy in levine who by far what he does most in the half court is operating ball screens. He's had 164 of them lead to a shot, a turnover or a trip to the free throw line compared to spot ups is his second most frequent play type at 60 or I'm sorry, at 42. So that's like what a four to one ratio. Uh, so yeah, defending ball screens with Levine is going to be a really key piece to this game. If the bulls want a chance to win it, and they've been in a lot of games. They've, okay, over their past like five games, and they're playing Houston right now as we record this, but I, I think they were winning last time I checked. Barely lost to the Kings by four points. Barely lost to the Lakers by two points. Barely lost to the Clippers by three points. Barely lost to the Thunder in overtime, overtime by two points. And then they beat the Mavs by over 15. Um, Thunder and Kings not as impressive as the Lakers and Clippers piece. The Mavs piece is, piece is impressive, but they're going to they're gonna fight. If you give them things, if you don't play your game and don't play well, they can be you. Um, so you got to play smart. Having KCP back is going to be helpful. And Levine is going to be the big piece of that game. Quick primer on them for our listeners. They are 5-8 and eight right now as we speak. They are 14th in offense and 
excuse me, 111.9 points per 100 possessions and 115.7 points allowed per 100 possessions on defense. So almost exactly middle of the pack on offense and almost dead last in defense. And I think they have some good players on this team, Tim. Like I like Wendell Carter. I like Larry Markinen. I even like Kobe White a little, though I think he's a little small to really make an impact on defense. But uh, there were, you know, times in the first half where Kobe White went off and had a a 10-point scoring streak, you know, really um, attacking Caruso with speed. And Caruso struggled against Levine as well. It wasn't just Wes Matthews who was unable to chase around Zach Levine. Caruso got matched up on him. And, you know, miscommunications with the catch hedges, like you said. I thought some of the bigs who were, like, hedging a little bit early – too and so that makes it even easier to reject when zach levine and then he just beats caruso off the first step and he's at the rim you know uh mm-hmm. so levine has a lot of usage he's the same thing's gonna happen this game well he'll get the ball in his hands a lot he can make the skip pass he can move the ball and he was able to get the ball into the short roll with wendell carter a few times and we saw him make some nice mid-rangers and uh and thaddeus young had himself a pretty good game, kind of beaten up on Trez in the uh, in in the size game in the post. So uh, it's it's not a great team, but it's definitely and Patrick Williams too. You know, looks like an NBA kind of three. So you know they have guys, they have some size and some some scoring to kind of have that hot night in Zach Levine. So you got to be on it with your defense uh, against a team like this. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they do have a few guys. Uh, they may or may not be can play them, but uh, Otto Porter Jr. and Patrick Williams have been day to day. They've been in and out of some games. Mm-hmm. Hutchinson and Sadaransky are in the uh, league's COVID nineteen protocols, um, so they're. I, I know they're out for today's game against Houston. They may be back by the time we play them, but uh, just a, a couple individual players to keep an eye out for that may be in, maybe out. Williams has been really good for them. Otto Porter Jr. has played pretty well. He's been a actually run some ball screens this year, um, but he's been a really good, you know, catch and shoot <laughs> off ball spot up sort of guy. Um, Sadaransky can give you a little bit of that as well. He hasn't really played all that much this year. Um, but if, if Williams is out or if Porter's out, those would be the more, I think, impactful uh, guys out among among those four for this team. Do you see the Lakers adjusting their screen coverages against Levine? Or do they continue and adjust to the mistakes that the very specific mistakes that they made and uh, and, and I try see to go this about it as a clean it up kind of game? We're going to run the same stuff. We know how they're going to attack it. We can like execute your fundamentals a little bit better, force them to use the screen, have the big man there on time in the right position, stop them there and then recover, scramble, recover however you need to to you know, get to where you need to get. If they're picking and popping, that help needs to come from the high side uh, from the perimeter. If they're picking and rolling or slipping, that low man needs to help. And then you have to rotate over. So get all five guys engaged defensively. We've seen how tight they can play this team. Uh, you, you ignore, if you're Frank Vogel, you ignore the injuries. You say this team can play as tight if we don't play our game, if we don't execute our defense. So I would expect the Lakers, given what we saw last time, to approach this game with a heightened defensive intensity and hopefully a better sense for how to defend the specific ways that Chicago was going after those catch edges last game. Um, that's on the one end of the court. On the other end of the court, 
Chicago's really, really poor defensively. You can kind of just play your game. It could be a game where you try some stuff out. Um, we've seen some drop coverage. We've seen a little bit of catch hedging from Chicago. Uh, if they're going to drop, run some LeBron AD pick and roll. See if you can get to abuse that drop coverage if they continue running it. Um, I, I am the, the Lakers should beat this team fairly convincingly as long as we execute those yeah. ball screens defensively. Cause other than that, there, there aren't too many paths to a competitive game for Chicago, just given how they've played so far this year, despite some pretty competitive losses that they've had. Yeah. And Anthony Davis was missing as well in that first game. So you have to think that swings things and helps the Lakers. I thought their offense was quite stagnant in that game with LeBron ISOing a lot. And yes, he made a great mid Rangers uh, fadeaways. Schroeder really forcing the issue quite a bit at the rim. And uh, he's, he's 51% at the rim this year, Tim. That's 32nd percentile. We talked mm-hmm. about that a little bit when we got him, that he struggles a little bit getting to the rim and finishing at a high uh, ability. And, you know, he, he can create his own shot, which is great, but sometimes he just forces it a bit too much. So he doesn't have to do that nearly as much this game uh, with Anthony Davis back. So hopefully we start to see they've been doing a lot more cross screens, man. I don't know. Have you noticed that for AD and LeBron as well? Yeah, the Lakers have done a good job with it and. I, I think they've used those throughout the season. I think over the past few games, we've been smarter about it and the players have stopped running where they need to stop instead right. of continuing further out to the perimeter so that they can actually – like the idea of a cross screen is to catch the ball in a, a, a you know a threatening position towards the rim. It's It's an idea to use schematically to get your post player the ball in deep post position instead of him having to like back a dude down before catch or once he catches the ball. So LA using those smarter is an encouraging sign. It was something that we had talked about, just like the AD popping to the three point line instead of standing around just little tweaks here and there. Um, But I'm happy to see that one made it. It can make a, a a couple points difference, a game optimistically. They don't, I don't think they run them on high enough volume where it's super impactful, but you want to score points where you can. All right, man. Anything else you got on this Bulls preview? I think I am good. Um, they get to the free throw line quite a bit. They're seventh in free throw rate. So that's a, a lot on Levine. Uh, he gets there well. Just don't foul this team, you know. Just play play straight out defense, and, and, and it should be not as close as the first game. Yeah, and the thing is with Levine, because so much of his offense is based on ball screens, if you do execute the catch hedge the right way, if you don't let him reject – and that big man's there, like those catch edges should stop pull up threes, which is one piece of it. And and but the other piece of it is you don't let Levine get ahead of steam and attack your big man downhill. Mm-hmm. If he can't get to the rim, that's one way this type of defense defends the rim, and that's a way that you keep guys off the free throw line. So if LA executes well, we can see this swing drastically in the opposite direction where Levine isn't scoring, he's not getting to the foul line. He's not getting other guys involved. It, it, it can uh, snowball pretty quickly in LA's favor. If, if you just execute a couple simple concepts. Well, and if you make his life really hard, Tim, 
Dude's still going to shoot the ball. He's not going to take an eight, you know, f- field goal attempt game because the defense wasn't giving me anything. So I kept the ball moving. No, he's a tough shot taker and uh, often a tough shot maker. But the ball's still going up, man, if you play good defense on him. So it, it kind of helps you in that respect, too. Yeah. He's he's the kind of like it's that's where like the Mamba mentality can bite you in the butt is (laughs) you're taking the shots we want you to take. And like if you make him credit to you, but uh, if if you can force Levine out of his game, make him take some harder shots and he's willing to play that lower efficiency style of basketball, you, you deal with the results. For sure. And there was a world where he goes off for, you know, 50 in a game and is, is, is going wild with amazing shots. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, eventually you can give this dude, you know, a hardened treatment just because I don't trust many other people to score on a one-on-one basis uh, in any other matchup, basically, across the board for this team. Yep. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. It's take him away and if he doesn't allow you to take him away play with two two dudes on him in that hardened treatment and and he's gonna win us the game or if he does oblige and and pass out i feel pretty confident in la's ability to scramble and recover to the guys that chicago has as opposed to some other teams out there yeah just throw like one of those late shot clock double teams at him Mm -hmm. get the ball out of his hand and make patrick williams take a 25 footer yeah sounds like uh, sounds like a good possession Moving on, Tim, in the background of all this conversation, I am vaguely watching the Brooklyn Nets uh, slightly take it to the Bucks here. It's a close claim, been a close game, all game, but the Nets are starting to pull away a little bit. Sends Kyrie, so, but the Lakers are going to match up with the Bucks this week. And as we were talking before we got on, I, we think these are two of the four teams with the Lakers and the Clippers that are kind of in that you know, upper echelon of contenders. So, what do you I mean? A little trying to sorry, pull up my stuff on the Bucks really quick. Um, they are currently nine and four, probably about to go nine and five. They have the second best differential plus nine point three. They average second in the league in offense at 118 uh points per hundred possessions, and ninth in defense at 108.6. I have watched a few of this team's games. I know I watched the you know Giannis Mitch a bunch of free throws against the Mavs as well and almost blow that game um i think they look pretty good though but there's some slight tweaks to them compared to last year right they're like they're not doing a five out like quite as much Mm -hmm. yeah they've made a few tweaks that we'll dig into that i think are smart there are ways you can try to counter it but given what milwaukee's good at and then given what Milwaukee and their coaching staff are a little bit weaker at, I think this is a move in the right direction. It's not some brand new, like crazy creative idea um, to like use the dunker spot. We've seen the Lakers use the dunker spot. Plenty of teams use the dunker spot. But mm-hmm. the way Milwaukee is utilizing that position is is really smart. What What they're doing is instead of five out, which is what we saw them do last year, Their idea with five out was we got shooters on the court. We want to clear the paint, let guys drive. The way defenses countered that five out was packing the paint a little bit. And then when you play five out, there are enough players on the perimeter close enough together that you can zone up on the weak side and then recover to whoever they skip past the ball to. And unless you're cutting or screening, similar to how we've seen LA struggle, if you just have guys standing around, 
it's easy to recover to. The the Bucks did a poor job of setting those pin and flare screens or doing different things to take advantage of that. So instead of that, instead of having a lot of perimeter players standing close to each other and letting the defense get an extra defender and, and play 3v2 weak side, they're doing a four out, one in offense. But that one player, instead of being in the post, is in the dunker spot. Where on the perimeter, now you only have two players instead of three players on the weak side. So if the defense is going to send extra help, it's it's harder to recover to those guys. It's easier to exploit that without being super creative schematically. At the same time, what Milwaukee's doing is instead of just having like your biggest guy stand in the dunker spot, it's it, like they're not having like AD or like Montrez Harrell, if, if we're looking at Lakers equivalent, stand there. They're doing as if like the Lakers had Dennis Schroeder standing there. And or like Alex Crusoe, and you might think, well, why? Why would I want Alex Crusoe to be the guy that I'm dumping the ball off to? That doesn't like he's not gonna like be the most efficient guy on those on those dump offs, which makes sense, and and that's right. But if Alex Crusoe is down there, his defender is going to be down there too. And really, what this style of offense is attacking is the concept of the low man being the help defender on drives. Normal basketball concept, you see this from high school. It's one of the first things they drill in with shell defensive principles. Um, All the way up to the NBA, overseas basketball, college basketball, the low man, the closest player to the baseline is often going to be the help. Closest player on the weak side is going to be the help on a drive. So if Giannis is attacking, we'll say at the right wing, and you've got uh, Drew Holiday in the left dunker spot, the low man, if if you've got two corners, Giannis at the right wing, a player at the left wing in the dunker spot, the low man weak side is going to be Drew Holiday's defender. So it's going to be a guard. So when the Lakers play the Bucks, instead of having AD be able to be that help man or Harrell be able to be that help man at the rim and, and block shots and cause a bunch of problems – it's Dennis Schroeder who's who's going to need to go over and try to take a charge or try to contest Giannis at the rim. So there's a pro to it in that the help defense isn't going to be strong. The con to it is that your dump-off man isn't going to be strong. And this is playing into the fact that Milwaukee maybe has realized they're weaker at some of that exploiting the the extra help in the paint. So that's just the, the setup. I, I know I've spoken for a bit, but that's the general idea. And that's fared pretty well for them. They've gotten a lot of Giannis attacking, beating his guy off the dribble, attacking the rim, and then like some like 5'11 or 6'2 point guard trying to defend this guy with <laughs> go-go gadget arms at the rim. It's just not working. Um, so that's that's the idea. There are ways you can counter it. There are things I think the Lakers can do to try to work around this, but that is inherently going to make your life really challenging. And if you don't go into this game with a specific game plan to counter what they're doing against you, life's going to be pretty difficult difficult if you let Giannis beat you at the point of attack. So their starting five um, throughout the season has been um, Drew Holiday, Dante DiVincenzo, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. Now that starting lineup is plus 17.3 differential. And so it, it lines up still for Giannis and AD to be guarding each other, right? You've got Brooke Lopez and Mark Gasol, lining up against each other, kind of similar players. Uh, Yel Lopez is younger and maybe a little more mobile, but, you know, archetypes are very, very similar. And Chris Middleton 
is going to have to match up with LeBron, which is going to be difficult for him to match up with that size. So I, I still like how this team matches up. Like they've got Dante uh, DiVincenzo, white Dante is their, their Caruso uh, proxy. And you got Drew Holiday, still an exceptional two-way player who will probably give Dennis quite a bit of issues. Uh, but, or do you see Drew on LeBron like we've seen? So I please, I hope they do because anytime in New Orleans that LeBron got Drew on him, he went straight to the post and was usually able to get something good out of it. Um, Mm-hmm. But, you know, those those Pelicans games last year was um, pretty high intensity, actually. And, you know, I don't know, just quickly on the last Pelicans game, like that was very low intensity. AD did not seem to know he was playing against his former team. But, um, yeah, a, a great matchup here with um, Giannis and AD going against each other. Um, I don't know. It's, it's going to be fun. You know, AD's not going to be... Uh, the the free safety he's able to when he's got a primary uh, defender like that. And I think that for this game plays well into LA's favor because the guy that you're going to want to help at the rim against isn't Middleton because he doesn't get there all that often is an average finisher. It's not uh, Drew Holiday who gets there pretty well as an okay finisher. It's Giannis. And if the options are not have AD be the help defender because they've got Drew Holiday or Dante standing in the dunker spot or have him on ball be maybe a step behind Giannis trying to block his shot from behind. I'm okay with that second option. Uh, So that's what we may see pretty often if he happens to not be on Giannis. And what the Bucs have done pretty often to get Giannis mismatches is run ball screens with him, but at like the free throw line, Mm -hmm. they'll like run like a horn setup where he's at one elbow and they've got a guard at the other elbow, get Giannis the ball, and then run an inverted pick and roll, essentially. And if you show hard against that, which is what teams often do in inverted pick and rolls, he'll dump that off to the guard. And because of the spread out offensive formation, that's going to be a bucket. If you drop against it, he's going to attack you, attack towards the rim against a guard. If you switch it, then he has a mismatch against a guard. So given those situations, the Lakers may end up switching a bit in in that specific action. Mm -hmm. And if so, then we may get to see AD defending off ball. What they'll probably do is run that guy as far away from the rim as possible, try to get AD out of help position. Um, But what you can do is this would be a game where I would be looking to execute a lot more off ball switches. We may even see some zone. Not in a like, oh, L.A. can't defend him in man sort of way, but like in a smart, proactive, instead of the thesis behind your offense be we're going to stick a little guy as the rim protection, the defense, you know, we're going to keep our guys in the positions on the court that they're strong at. And you're going to have to attack the zone with different sorts of concepts. So that could be something we see. Um, But yeah, that AD Giannis matchup is going to be really interesting. The other way Giannis has been attacking this year is in the post. Uh, not all that efficiency, efficient so far. Um, I noticed some clear tendencies with him. When he turns right shoulder from either block, he's taking a jump shot. Uh, left shoulder, he's trying to go to the rim. So if he's at like the right block, you can kind of, if you're the off-ball defender, try to sit on that uh, right shoulder fadeaway and try to see if you can tip it from behind or something. Um, but I think AD will fare well in defending him in the post. Um, he's a good playmaker, but, you know, not on like guard sort of volume and he's not making guard reads and ball screens. So you can be more aggressive with stunts from the, from the elbows. If he's running a high ball screen, 
you just want to defend the rim against Giannis. And especially if AD is on ball and you don't have a good rim protector able to beat him at the rim, you want to stop him before he gets there. So catch hedges help do that. Stunts help do that. AD on him should help do that at the point of attack. I think LA fares about as well as any team in this specific matchup because of that AD piece of it, even if it's not AD in his optimal defensive role. It's crazy, dude, but this matchup like might come down to whose bad bench lineups are worse because Milwaukee has a bad bench lineup uh, of their own with Augustine, Drew Holiday, uh, Thanasis, and Tatakumpo. Chris Middleton, Bobby Portis, minus 11.5 and you know, not as many minutes, but that's that's a lineup that they do use um, there. It's just basically like the way they use Giannis in their shifts. What I'm worried about, Tim, is the start of the second quarter when Giannis actually plays. So he comes out like he's on the LeBron timeline and and AD's, you know, kind of the reverse of that. So AD comes at the end of the second quarter. So there's going to be a part in the beginning of the second quarter. I've, I can see it now. And I'm going to throw something at my TV when I see Montrez Harrell guarding. I'm going to throw something at betonline.ag. First team to five points or ten points in the second quarter. That's what I'm going to be throwing. It's not sponsored, by the way. It's not a sponsorship. Um Anyway, so th- I just see that happening because it's regular season. They're not going to adjust the rotations to, you know, mirror Giannis's or anything like that. So we're going to see key for Trez or someone who's going to get eaten alive with maybe that bad lineup we talked about before. So it's a good starting lineup, like two of the better, you know, positive net rating starting lineups in the league going against each other and getting their best shot. Um, it- it'll be fun. I, I I'm I'm excited to see this game quite a bit. And Tim, just over ten months ago, we had that weekend where we beat the Clippers and the Bucks. It was in mid March. What a year! That was yeah. And then right after that, everything stopped. Yeah. But yeah, that's crazy to think about. I I will push back. I don't think this Bucks starting group is going to be the same caliber starting group that we've seen them against other teams because. Chris Middleton is such a key piece of that group. And he, he's legit. I want to start this by saying he's legit. He, last season, his LeBron, his, the, the, oh God, I don't remember what it stands for. The luck adjusted player estimate of the, 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 the plus minus stat that we came up with. His impact. He was eighth best in the league last season. Crazy good on a per hundred possession basis. Two of his past three seasons, he's had all NBA impact. He's a, he's had a silver difficult shots badge at B-Ball Index. He's a great proficient pull-up shooter. Um, he's an elite shooter, excellent 1v1 guy, good passer. Strong post player. If we give him any mismatches, we'll see him go at dudes in the post. You, by, by people's reactions on Twitter, you can get a sense for who watches yeah, more bucks and who doesn't. Because sure. he, he does he's that good. pretty often. Um, he's Yeah, he's just legit. Yeah. He's good. But what he's done most this season is ball screens, pick and roll. He's Milwaukee's top guy. He is leading Milwaukee, I think, is the third most efficient ball screen attack in the league. But they use it second second least of any team. But when they do, it's with him. And he's almost always pulling up. He's always trying to attack that drop coverage with that pull-up two. Sometimes he'll go for that pull-up three. He's hitting 52% of his pull-up threes this year on about two and a half a game. So not crazy volume, but like that's that's really good. And he's been good at that in the past. Our catch hedges should be his pick-and-roll kryptonite. This should be a tough game for Chris Middleton because he's not able to take you. You've got a big man right in his face on those shots. And 
he's not the best at attacking the rim. So I don't think he's going to be attacking, whether it's Gasol or AD or Harrell. I don't think he's going to be like beating our big man around the corner or splitting these or anything like that. So if you can take away the pull-up jumper from him, you're probably going to fare pretty well against Middleton. And he may still put up some points because he's going to get good volume. But if he has a poor game and then you have AD doing a good job against Giannis, I really like what the Lakers are able to do in this matchup. And I think we, for those reasons, we match up really well for them personnel wise and schematic. Well, who do you think's the primary? Probably KCP, right? Put the primary put, put a Lakers defender, yeah. probably put LeBron on Dante. So the ideal two guys, I'd, the two or three guys I'd say would be LeBron and Middleton or Kuz should fare. Well, Matthew should fare. Well, he is a ISO kind of guy. He's not going to be running off a ton of off-ball screening actions because Milwaukee doesn't do that for whatever reason. Um, he's not gonna. He's not a forceful beat you to the rim sort of dude. So from a footwork standpoint, I have confidence in those three ISO defenders on the perimeter doing a good job. So those matchups, Caruso might be able to do okay. KCP less so. So I'd be worried about if if LA concedes that matchup often, Schroeder would struggle. So I don't I, yeah. I don't see that happening a bunch. Um, but Wes, Kuz, and LeBron on on Middleton in ISO plus catch hedging in the pick and roll. And that's about as well you can do without getting super, super in-depth with specific game planning things um, to, to fare pretty well against him as a defense. Seeing who LeBron guards, I guess, will be a quick indicator as how seriously this game is being taken um, as far as treating it like a future potential playoff matchup. You know what I mean? Like in a regular season game, like I can totally see them just putting LeBron on Dante and say KCP, like, go ahead, dude. Like, this is you. This is your your role. Go hit threes and guard dudes who are way bigger than you. And, and you don't stand a chance. That'd be a bad, that'd be a bad game. That's what they do like, a lot. It's, it's not, and it's not even, <laughs> That's what they do. The, the, the thing to me is, yeah, I know, I know. Just the thing is like, it's not, like you don't have to like bench KCP to bring in Wes Matthews or, or Kyle Kuzma. Like LeBron's already out there. Mm -hmm. Like just flip that matchup and you're in, in really good shape. No, I'm with you. Yeah. So it's whether or not they will yeah. do well, it, will show how seriously it, they're taking it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such low hanging fruit that I would, I would guess they will, but I am with you. I can see a world in which they don't. For sure. I hope they will. This would, If LA wins this game, it would be the most impressive win so far this season. And mm -hmm. if they win convincingly, it would be incredibly meaningful um, relative to some of the other wins we've had recently. This would be a, a really impressive one. Good stuff, man. Uh, I think that's a good place for me and you to wrap up. We are going to pot again on Friday. And uh, now that you're all set up, how was the move, dude, by the way? How you how you settling in out there, Tim? It's uh, it's come in stages. So there was the actual like leaving our stuff behind. And then we stayed with family for a couple of weeks, me and my girlfriend. And then we actually came down to Texas, which is where we've moved to without our stuff. And we've been in a hotel for the past 19 days, 18 days, something like that. And just today we moved into our new apartment. So uh, finally have everything set up. I'm not having to like podcast in like a closet anymore, which is what had <laughs> happened in the past at times. Um, so yeah, it, it much, much easier. Everything's set up. It's gone well, loving the warmer weather. Um, and excited to uh, have a little bit more consistency with this going forward because of just availability and, and not having like movers in my house during the middle of the day when we're trying to podcast. Well, you love to see it. Shouts to Mrs. McBasketball. May she, 
I don't know. <laughs> Be able to change her name after she divorces you. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> I think on our end, I just the the idea of Mrs. McBasketball came in my mind, and I tried to go somewhere with it. So, this is the outro you're getting today, Tim. She has a good bit of artistic design capability in her, so I wouldn't be surprised if she like mocked up some good, uh, some good gear for the two of us. <laughs> Little Johnny McBasketball's on the way. Congrats to you! No, yeah. I'm not. What? We're jumping a few spaces. No, 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 no. not yet, not yet. <laughs> All right, Tim, we're gonna get out of here. The game is about to start, so we will be on Twitter, and uh, we will catch you guys next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.